This is an Area Code podcast. Growing up, I didn't. I felt like expressing anger left me open to ridicule or dismissal or, or you know, um, something like that. It just wasn't a safe place to be. For some people, being angry makes them feel powerful, but I never, I was laughed, I felt like I was laughed at or it just, it left me open to something. So it didn't feel like it was a safe space for me. So getting to like rage in games feels delicious, which feels great. Hi everyone, I'm Richard Clark and you're listening to Video Game Feelings, a podcast about the way video games make us feel and the people who make and play them. Today on the show, Sarah El Mali a voice director and actor whose work's been featured on a number of video games. More recently, she's been the voice of Fortnite's Cube Queen and Halo Infinite's Despondent Pyre. admired Sarah from afar for years now. Back in the day, we both swam in the same games writing circles. As those circles started to be disrupted and dispersed, to be honest, I I watched with relative envy as her star rose in the video game voice acting realm. As someone who struggled to find my place in life, I partially envied her straightforward career progression, but I think more than that, I envied her expressiveness. Whenever I would happen onto her work or interviews and videos about her work, I'd marvel at the relative freedom with which she expressed emotion. This ability is something I've struggled with, but it's a struggle I've just recently become aware of. In the past, I thought of myself as an emotional person, someone who feels deeply and conveys that feeling to others. But more recently, I've realized that actually other people don't experience me that way. I may feel deeply, but most of those emotions remain under the surface. So that's the preoccupation I brought to my conversation with Sarah, especially as I'm kicking off a podcast centered predominantly around human emotion. What can I do to express my genuine feelings a little more freely? I mean, really, today I kind of decompressed. I had a big day on uh, Monday because I had some some of my bigger like I, I directed a couple of notable folks certainly in game vo and then like a musician or two or an influencer yeah. or two but like it was my first big proper like a-list celebrity voice directing day oh, on monday fun. and so i was just like my nerves were a jangle at the beginning and then at the end and so i had like you know i was there and waiting as schedules were shifting and just kind of on hold and then like at 4 4 p.m or whenever we wrapped i was just like that's me for the day i'm done i'm done i'm just gonna watch <laughs> TikTok right. for the next like, like for the next hour and change. I'm tapped. Um, uh, what was that so. for? Are you allowed to say? I think I I will not say who, but I think I can say for Fortnite. Oh, fun! I uh, I play that game like pretty much every day with my son, who's always like rooting for me to get the Spider Man or Doctor Strange skin yeah. or whatever. So sure. we're doing yeah. we are having to check off the list every day. Well, I'm going to open with what we use as our opening question, which is kind of a two-parter. It is, uh, what have you been playing, and how has that game made you feel? So that's a two. That's interesting. That's a two-part question. Um, 
but I'm doing a whole other podcast about it. Like one, it's that's cheating. I think it's like that's just podcast inception because I'm playing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how <laughs> how much can I just discuss my own feeling? You know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. So I'm playing Mario. I'm playing. I finished. Well, I half finished. I had to tag team with somebody because it got hard. Um, Super Mario World because right. the, the Eggplant Podcast is doing a very deep dive you know, retrospective exploration. Yeah. And I listened to the first episode of that after I, I've been trying to like do it as the, uh, the video game club style Mm -hmm. thing where I'm keeping up. Yeah. And of course, inevitably I just haven't been able to like, for some reason the switch didn't save my progress on the thing. And I'm like, I'm not doing this again. So now I'm going to have to convince myself to just listen anyway. But yeah, I mean, uh, I really enjoyed that first episode. I'm glad. I'm glad it's been joining <laughs> guesting on an eggplant for like the last year and then joining as a, a host has meant the world to me. It's just been like a really nourishing way to experience games and talk about them. And like, and it, you know, because you, you were talking about kill screen before, like it reminds me of kill screen. It's just sort of like mm-hmm. that level of attention and an insi- insight and it's just a privilege. And so um, I do enjoy that a lot. Um, so I've been playing that and not yeah. being very good at it. <laughs> Mario yeah. is hard. turns out. <laughs> Old school Mario is hard. Uh-huh. I'm excited to kind of dig into, especially hear from from co-hosts and guests about the sort of expanding Mario world culture and creations that have come out of it since right. it, its release. Um, so that's one answer. Um, the other answer is I'm like 70 hours into Horizon, but like mm, maybe, I don't know, like halfway through the story, if that. Like mm. if that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I love me some, my pandemic, I've leaned hard on sort of virtual pretty landscapey vista tourism and so it's been it's been scratching a real itch i enjoy it a, a great deal how does horizon make you feel i enjoy the like the razor thin line between feeling incredibly stupid and clumsy and feeling really powerful and cool. That's weak spot. Oh, I, heard that from here. Mm-hmm. I think the game does a really good job of that if I if I go in blundering and I just sort of like pull aggro from everybody at once and like even low level enemies like I'm tr- I'm done I'm d- and I feel like a huge dummy. Um, and if I take my time or I like you know I pay attention to if I tag some parts tag their weak spots like do do the due diligence that the game systems make incredibly easy for you, then I'll be like oh that was easy that was over in like two hits. <laughs> Look at that thing fizzing away. You know, so it's like I, I enjoy that feeling of like I enjoy both of those feelings. <laughs> I it's guess like it's like two feelings, but there's a yeah. feeling in between, right? Like something around I don't know, risk or is that does that feel right? Feeling in between? What is the what is the razor thin line between feel like? Between clumsy and extremely pa- it, it feels like risk, right? Like if you mm. like if you think of it like in terms of a sports game a football hmm. game right like I, which someone... i am incapable of doing but please tell me how that <laughs> i'm works. barely capable but i'm just <laughs> thinking you know there's that classic thing where the coach just like makes a call and they're like if this works it will be the greatest call on earth <laughs> if this doesn't work everyone will say he's the worst coach on earth oh and i that see. feels like the kind of uh-huh. thing you're experiencing 
Possibly. I think there are I, there are cases where that might be true where I'm like, mm-hmm. boy, if this I've got a I've got a hunch about this. And if this pays off, that'll be amazing. But it could go wrong. I feel yeah. like nine times out of 10, though, I know what that line is. That line is just very <laughs> basic level shit that the game has been telling me to do and like making easy for me the entire time. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you just needed to take a second to tag something to look at what its elemental weaknesses are. Like, I almost feel like, oh, yeah, duh. So it's never like a huge risk. It's actually yeah. just basic level participation in the, in the game uh-huh. as per all the signs that is in fact the difference so it's like i don't know most of the time there there are like a a few larger enemies where like oh whoops i should have paid attention to their level which also the game tells me most of the time though that feeling is like yeah i did what i was supposed to do (laughs) you know what i mean yeah so it's like um learning competence almost or something you know it's patience and it's due diligence and so there's a difference between like (laughs) cowboying which sometimes works and is kind of wild but most of the time, the feeling is like returning back to the things that I already know I'm supposed to do. Is this a feeling that you have in real life and that you enjoy feeling and so you mm. play it in a video game? Or is it something you're supplementing <laughs> Oh yeah, a little bit? I mean, my gut reaction is to assume the latter. To like, assume that you could always use more feelings of competence than you normally have? I mean, there's a lot of different impulses like... I, love, I, I appreciate the way that, I don't know if you're familiar with the, how Jason Vandenberg kind of mapped out the different play impulses that we have as, pe- as human beings. So just sort of neurological, so, behavioral, yeah, psychological, like what kind of player are you? What are you trying to gratify? Like what are your impulses? What do you respond to? There are probably like organizational impulses that I have as a gamer. When I'm really hooked into something, I kind of tend to be completist. I try to like, I'm kind of methodical, like things like that, that are like apparently behaviors that I can exhibit that I just mm-hmm. fail to to like impl- implement in my life as often as I would like to, but yeah. show up in video games. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a little bit yes. of that tension. I think every yeah. uh, every teenage kid feels that tension. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Such a common thing. Oh my God, totally. I, I like I played, I came home from school and played, or from school and then rehearsal, you know, most of the time for theater kid, bleh, um, and played so much Sims. My parents were like totally baffled. Like I kept my grades up pretty well, vastly underslept. Um, but like, <laughs> but all they saw in their waking hours was me coming home and like playing The Sims in my room and be like, leave me alone, it'll be fine. I'll be like, okay. And then she's like, she's pulling it off. I don't know what's going on there. And it, what it was was I just like needed to like scratch an itch of The Sims, um, and then I could huh. attend to my homework. But um, which I think is is an underlying thing in my life. I feel like there's almost always a deficit of like me time that I'm co- that I'm then scrambling to like fix and catch up with and like mm-hmm. that's the cycle <laughs> um mm-hmm. instead of just being like i could get all my work done and then have free time no it's never that it's like free time first and then oh no <laughs> work in the sims my like over like I, they were all thriving like their lives were so i had just like systems of efficiencies and like how to order their morning in terms of like pee and then eat and then blah blah like it was just so like down to the detail and they were all yeah. doing so well i mean you know they were like I think they were like all ethically, ethically non-monogamous, having wonderful partnerships and thr- like just totally succeeding in their careers. Like it's having kids like it was just bananas. Um, and yet as a, you know, me being a messy teen and like staying up, going to bed at 12 and getting back up at five to study for a biology test, like just a mess, you know. So that stressed me out. You describing that sounds like <laughs> a, just a horrific video game experience having to worry about. <laughs> So many other people's lives, yeah. and, like in a mundane way, you know? Uh-huh. Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. No, I was not did... getting wild and creative with my Sims at all. Not like tossing. I was never abusive. Didn't toss them in any pools without ladders. I didn't like sure. set things on fire. Like some people get really creative and exploratory and playful and like they're living out their alt universe, you know, greatest adventure fantasy. No, I just optimized 
uh, to hell. I optimized to an absolute microscopic And you did it level. like consistently <laughs> every day. Yeah. And it somehow freed yeah. you up to do the same for yourself. It, well, it took the time that I would need to have done it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no. No. It was, that was okay. a case of offloading an impulse and a behavior to video games where it okay. probably served me better in my life. Why do you think you were able to 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 play that out in video games and not in real life? That's a really that, that's a question from my therapist. Um, <laughs> why am I able to do it in video games and not in real life? Um, or why were you at the time? I mean, I assume you're slightly different at this stage, but <laughs> one might think. But if it's a <laughs> but if it's a child wound, Richard, <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. no, right, yes, true. Um, yeah. Uh, I think there is something to examine again because we are getting deep into sort of therapy zone. Mike can only speculate. I think there yeah. is some some sort of wound there of like having having my needs or desires or ways of spending time or just something that didn't get enough. And this is me throwing a lot of fault on the system around me where who knows, right? Mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. um, getting it acknowledged and respected and feeling feeling com- like oh okay, like it's okay for me to have. I exist in a in a space where my time and my interests are acknowledged and recognized and appreciated and that's all fine and gravy instead of being like I'm going to insist on mm. um taking this back now even though it's a bad time because I need it first and then I can chill out and like or, or focused on a task that needs to get done or do something that isn't fun or doing whatever. That's mm-hmm. like me wildly guessing. I have no yeah. idea. Like I also like have have a pathology around being late. It's like a similar kind of thing um, that was started. I yeah. think is like an attention attention grabbing thing. And as a kid, and now it's just something I have to fight every day when it's totally inconvenient and distressing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you tend to be late, and yeah, I tend to so be late I, and or close to late uh, on a lot of stuff, and it causes max distress. I uh, I swear this isn't a brag because it's not at all a value judgment, but for mm. my brain, I have the opposite thing where yeah. if I am going to be one minute late, I get yeah. very frustrated and stressed out. Yeah. I never get frustrated at anyone who is late. That's it's just good of you. <laughs> when it happens to That's me, so it's like, yeah. it's like, a, and I wonder, you know, if there's some inverse thing. That I don't I'm, know. But the yeah. thing is, I also get upset. So like, I just do it more. <laughs> I do, compulsively do it more, but I still am sad. Sure. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Just the whatever's underneath those behaviors we persist in doing that don't give us no happiness. And in fact, you know. Right. Know. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Uh, so I want to not talk to about sessions, the- though, I will say not to sessions ever. <laughs> Say that. What, what do you mean? Uh, to, Not to, to, s- to sessions, to voiceover sessions. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes, gotcha. Yes, yes. So that's a good transition. I am, I am, <laughs> I mean, honestly, a huge fan of your work. One of the things that I've noticed about your voice acting is, and this may go without saying, I don't know, but it seems particularly true of you is that it feels expressive, right? Oh. Um, like it feels very like you are articulating. I don't know if articulating emotions is right, but you're articulating emotions, right? Okay, Um, sure. This is something I wanted to talk to you about because I struggle with it um, on a personal level. When I feel things, I have a really hard time of, like humor is basically like the one way I express emotions and sometimes Mm. I get frustrated with that. Like I laugh really hard and that's basically my, or I'll make a sardonic comment or something. Mm -hmm. I'm not like cynical, but I can be- Nate Drake, what is this? 
Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really struggle to express the sort of more, more vulnerable mm. things. I started this podcast partially because I wanted to learn to talk about those things. I, <laughs> feelings are something I feel very deeply, I think, yeah. but it takes me a while to recognize I'm feeling them even. Yeah. And then to articulate them is another step. I Like writing helps me a lot. Yeah. But um, th- yeah, I'm curious like around like, do you, do you see that as self-expression in terms of emotions? Yeah, let me, I feel like I want to put a couple different pins in that Uh like three different pins in that question for answer. One is like how I learned how to do that in my relationship to emotions from, you know, then as a kid Mm -hmm. and and now and what acting does Mm -hmm. for that. And the second pin um, is, is around just, I mean, and not to overextend my analysis here, but like, but men are not taught to identify or express their feelings. I mean, it's worth, we should be so lucky that you do it through humor and not aggression, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. that's the disadvantage that, um, that is an inheritance to many um, men, and that makes me sad. Um, and it's always very thrilling and powerful to watch men in particular move through it and resist it, and it's just an extra challenge. And then the third thing was a direct answer to your question, I'm sure. <laughs> what was? What did you actually just end with? <laughs> I'll give you time to think about it because I do want to address the men thing. This okay. has been something I'm hyper aware of because I don't like hanging out with men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I For this reason, I find it, yeah. A, boring, and B, suppressive, right? Like mm-hmm. it, oppressive maybe is the word I'm looking for. It feels mm-hmm. like um, you're talking about facts and stuff and like, or opinions, mm-hmm. right? And then you're, but you're not talking about emotions. So I've always found women yeah. just generally more interesting and certainly more safe mm-hmm. um, of people to hang out with. More recently, I've found like an in-person friend who's not mm-hmm. on the internet that is a man and who is better than me as expressing his emotions. Yeah. And I think that is what tipped the scales for me of like, oh, I'm not very good at this because mm-hmm. it made me uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like at times it makes me uncomfortable. And I've been a person who sat with people, men who are bad at expressing their emotions and r- calm, gone back to my wife and railed against the patriarchy. Yeah. And just yeah. been like, this is frustrating. Like, it is. I'm so bored with this person. Yeah. Like, can we not talk about something real? I think mm-hmm. I can, I think I'm good at articulating emotions maybe and, but not expressing them. Mm, that's interesting. There's someone close to me um, uh, who, well, I should just say, he's not going to listen to this. <laughs> it's my brother. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and that's not a thing on you. He just doesn't listen to anything I do. Um, sure. But he, uh, and it's been he's had we we the big the only big kind of there's I mean while well, I I moved and I'm in a house that I'm very grateful to be in during this time um, that was a big win but the other mm-hmm. pandemic win was becoming genuinely close with my brother like for years we just we gen- like I say triggered and I mean that our nervous systems were readily set off by each other yeah. um, over the years even though we have a lot of shared history a shared sense of humor there's a lot that we enjoy but like for years a deep closeness and a safety with each other was not possible because of the way that yeah. we set each other off or our then our bodies would respond but we you know credit to him credit to him he wanted to do like essentially do- double like couples therapy essentially like two, the two of us in therapy Amazing. together i know oh um and he had vision for closeness that we could have that I didn't have faith in. I was too burned to. Do- I, I mean, can you believe this, right? And so that's wild. Right? That's blowing my mind. It's, yeah. And it worked. Like it was really difficult work. Um, but right now, I feel like 
it's been a minute since we really like felt super unsafe with each other or that the cloud of our own um, ego got between our communication. Like these days we're, mm-hmm. we're just, I don't know. I can genuinely call him my best friend now. And that's never been true. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Like, and yeah. so he's been, it's, it's been really um, moving and interesting and, and just fascinating and heart, I don't know, heart pulling to watch him do that work on his own and learn to like yeah. identify and name his own feelings and express them and, and be vulnerable and to, to, to cherish vulnerability, to value vulnerability um, actively and then to experience and then experientially intellectually and then experientially for him. Um, and it's right. made so much possible in our relationship. Um, so it's been from the outside, it's like watching someone close to me and what's po- been become possible in, in thanks to his hard work has been amazing. When you're doing your work, are you in what way are you expressing your emotions? Oh my god. I mean, that's all it's the whole thing. But I mean, I mm-hmm. will to the I big backing up, I can mm-hmm. talk about I mean, one acting is definitely as I've been doing more directing, it's been interesting because I still um people ask if I want to do more of one or the other and I'm like I kind of want them in perfect balance. That's what I want. <laughs> um because it is really nourishing and stimulating and deeply satisfying to give space to other people to express and to be creative in that way. I find it very intellectually mm-hmm. gratifying. And that is the articulating of things like yeah. directing is absolutely 100 percent all the time articulation um, and and trying to be very precise about human detail and human impulse and nature um, and trying to give someone a spark that they can express with um but the other part of it but the acting part of it is just is absolutely permission to be and feel all kinds of things that i may or may not feel permission to do in life and so right um you know it's it's one it's been um interesting seeing that uh, like i just tend to get cast for tough folks tough gals (laughs) um Which is not how I kind of come across. Like I have kind of a goofy, almost self, like I think when I was younger, it was even more self-sabotaging, self-deprecating like kind of like impulse, um, clowning impulse to kind of navigate certain situations um and that is but it's also native to me i can't i can't distinguish when it's native or just like and what of it isn't you know kind of an adaptation at this point it's just all the same um but then in games i get to be angry and i and when i was growing up i did not it's funny because like the inverse is true for men where all they get to be is angry Mm -hmm. and for me i Mm -hmm. didn't feel like i was able for me expressing anger um in my home this is so mm, this is such a deep podcast oh my god um it makes me so happy lord um, but yeah, growing up, I didn't, I felt like expressing anger left me open to ridicule or dismissal or, or, you know, um, something like that. It just wasn't a safe place to be for some people being angry makes you them feel powerful, but I never, I was laugh. I felt like I was laughed at or I just, it left me open mm-hmm. to something. So I didn't feel like it was a safe space for me. So getting to like rage mm-hmm. in games feels delicious. It feels great. I'm despondent pyre, monitor of this installation and this is my conservatory. My conservatory. This is not right. Oh no. And I was a hypersensitive kid. I was a hypersensitive kid um, who expressed way too much all the time, felt too much, cried too much, and kids can be so vicious. And so, like, I, um, I, it copied people as a kid. I would like one, you know, one year, like fourth grade, I would be like flower print leggings and like whatever girly stuff. And then the next year I'd be like torn jeans and like, Meh. it was just like, I was frantically attaching to other women who seemed it, women, girls, tiny girls <laughs> who seemed to have status and kind of a self confidence, even though it was fake probably. Um, 
So I did that for a bit um, to try and manage my hyper emotionality. And then like in high school, it was acting that made me understand that it could have a use and a service and that there was a space for this where it was required. So I think, you know, um, and I do think there is a life lesson in this too, to folks like yourself who are trying to understand what role your emotions play in your, in your life and in, you know, um, in your person, um, was that I, here was a thing that asked me to risk everything and that that was all that you can do. Not risking everything in vulnerability and in, in tapping into these emotions and giving them voice and taking them seriously was to go halfway. That was not that was to not be a good actor was mm. to like hide from things or to like tamper the tamp them down or to like just kind of be guarded or tense or whatever that is around that. Yes. And so that yeah. f- suddenly felt like this really powerful, meaningful space where I was like, this is what I have to do. I have to do this to be good at this. I have to give them this space and this and to honor them and to explore them. Um, and so that was like the big now, I mean, the real trick is to just learn that about your own life. But uh, if you're me, you can just turn it into a career. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and I've done the same thing too, right? Yeah. Like we, I started a podcast network that is literally centered around vulnerability and mm. authenticity and all of this stuff. And I'm constantly, I mean, most of my job these days, just the nature of it is, is, uh, I guess in your dichotomy, it's the directing side, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's helping other people Mm. be better and doing this podcast has been so weird because I realize I'm out of practice, Uh not just in podcasting, hosting or whatever, but in vulnerability, Mm. like it's there, I'm having to relearn it and I've criticized people for so long, Uh um, (laughs) which is not the right framing, but like, you know, I've, I've been like, this is the way you've got to do it. Just telling them over and over that I'm realizing like, oh, it's actually, it actually is a skill that you have to. It's a muscle. It's it's not like riding a bike at all. It's definitely. um, You have to just keep doing it. So you um, do. And then it feels less, or you just, you learn the grace and the discomfort. You're like, oh, this is a familiar discomfort. And like, I feel wide open and you're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, man, sure. That's the thing. That's what it is. Um, And I get to practice it. It's interesting now that like, I almost don't feel any, I very rarely, if ever, feel friction around a voiceover audition where I'll just be like, bleh. Like, I mean, I just, it's, it's mm-hmm. at this point, it's been so many that like I get into the booth and I'm like, all right, what's this? I'm fairly good now at listening to myself and being critical without being judgmental. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to like performance capture, uh, like auditions, like that I self tape, like we, the big, there's been this big shift, right? Cause I, I, before the pandemic, I would go in for a good number of auditions for performance capture. I'd go into a room, a casting director would have a, like a small room and they would mic me up or whatever and they'd film. And, and that was easier for me. I could just go in and you know what, here we go. I can't control these variables. I've got, I'm off book. That's what I can do. And I've got some choices. Let's mess around. Mm. Um, and that is so different than me setting up my space, reviewing my own takes, making a call in a void it's like with you know it's been um I'm still I still feel that like squeamish unsettling like oh that's my face ew like (laughs) and I really Mm want to do this work I love because performance captures where I get to be with my fellow actors actually and actually act with them um and I did a bunch of it I did two years of it for Anthem and I loved it so much and so I would love to get more of that work but it like that muscle that submission muscle is less strong and re- frequently used has have has fewer reps on it than um than my voiceover one do you ever get frustrated that you're not able to uh express yourself in the same way when you're not acting in, in other words is it that kind of dis- displacement or like supplanting thing that's ha- happening are you are you are you doing it there so you're not 
and therefore not doing it other places or mm -hmm. is it is it just building the muscle i'm asking because i've i was um doing an interview podcast for years at one point and i constantly found myself zoning out in conversations with people in normal life um not able to really engage in the way that i was very good at oh. doing in actual interview settings and i would have to turn mm. it on i would have to say mm. pay attention and some of this maybe <laughs> someone's talking maybe it, right? <laughs> i'm curious if you had anything a similar experience um i feel like because anger is the big one that jumps out at me um mm. i mm. It's just like such an obvious quadrant. Yep. I get I get angry or frustrated. I am I allow myself to be frustrated in a work context when I'm doing other things like, um, you know, if I'm doing because I I've I co-host the Indicate Awards and I direct at the show essentially I'm a creative director for the show. Um, and okay. we have a technical director and we have you know other folks helping in many ways that I need and you know lean on writer yep. um, writers etc. And so if I'm in an organizing mode, um, I allow myself to get what I feel is righteously frustrated when things are like not a, you know, whatever. And I take great yep. care to express it in a way that's like empathetic and, and you know, just hold, trying to, to get everybody on the same page with the same standard that we're trying to hold. And I take the communication piece extremely seriously. But I, I feel less right. as I get older, I get less fussy around someone, you know, worried about someone perceiving my frustration. I'm like, yeah, mm. I am frustrated. I wish that this had been done. <laughs> You know, and yeah. like I care less that you know that I'm not happy about it. Um, but I still don't, you know, um, I don't know that I get angry in close, like intimate relationships or just really personal relationships. I don't know that I've cracked that in this sphere. There are other people who like, like I've never really gotten into shouting matches with a, a romantic partner or anything like that. That to me is like, mm -hmm. why are we doing that? No, this is a, the, clearly this is not a thing. This is not what it needs to be if that's the state we're getting to. Um, right. But uh, but uh, that's not, I don't think everybody sees it that way. I think some people see that as healthy. Um, and that's a foreign idea to me. I'm so sensitive to whether I feel understood and seen and what I say, that, 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 that the two of us in, a, in an intimate partnership like that, that we can both look at the, it was the only thing about the blind man and the elephant just the kind of thing, like just the challenge uh -huh. of trying to perceive reality from the same kind of on the same basis. Like right. that's really key to me. And so if I feel like we're we're at the point where we're yelling at each other and we can't find a way to express our feelings in a constructive way, then I'm like, I'm out. I just tap out. Um, mm -hmm. And so maybe I'm tapping mm -hmm. out too early. Maybe I'm missing a key piece of relating here. I don't know. I think some some romantic couples find it really healthy and normal to to eventually to get mad at really mad at each other um, at right. times, you know, not all the time. But um, yeah. so I wonder about that. I don't know. When did you decide to start? When did you decide to focus on voice work as opposed to other kinds of acting? Well, it was a multi-stage thing. You know, I fell in love with voice acting um, with like I noticed voice actors from the LucasArts Adventure Game Days. I mean, it, what a big week for Monkey Island. I mean, my God, right, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And Curse of Monkey Island changed my life, like changed my sense of humor. Like that particular brand of like, oh, you can be kind of like erudite and, and smart and deeply silly and goofy. Like that's my, that is my brand. Like that's, what is oh. that? You know what I mean? So like that is just imprinted really heavy on me and those performances really yeah. um, blew my mind. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? A woodchuck could chuck no amount of wood since a woodchuck can't chuck wood. But if a woodchuck could chuck and woodchuck some amount of wood, what amount of wood would a woodchuck chuck? Even if a woodchuck could chuck wood, and even if a woodchuck would chuck wood, should a woodchuck chuck wood? A 
a woodchuck should chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood, as long as a woodchuck would chuck wood. Oh, shut up. There was that seed planted. I just kind of kept track of voice actors um, from an early age. And then I did it really, I would I would say I did high school theater. I did theater in middle school, too, but really seriously, like taking it seriously in high school. Um, so that was acting. That was theater. Um, I continued to do theater and kind of I had on camera commercial representation and I was doing some improv in New York. I was just really kind of dabbling as best I could. But I just kind of loved I did radio dramas in college. That was another big that was my big mm. moment to kind of explore the range in my voice and the pleasure of um you know, acting without being judged for or assessed for how I look um, and voicing yeah. things that I look nothing like. And the, you know, the joy of kind of putting everything through this very like high fidelity bottleneck of just your voice. Uh, um, yeah. You yes. Know, you know what I mean? Um, yep. Is it kind of a joyful challenge and opportunity to me? And so that was that big discovery moment. So, yeah, but it was it, it was being in New York and just really looking at it from an analytical perspective around like, what does my day consist of? And what's emotionally sustainable for me? Because mm -hmm. auditioning for theater, even at the time, you know, when you're auditioning at a low level, you're, it's, always, it's all these monologues. So you never get to just go in and just read the piece. And I just don't like monologues very much. I find most mm. of them to be giant potholes in a thing. Like, unless you're like, I don't know, Tony Kushner or like Shakespeare or, you know what I mean? Like, there's rare exceptions. And I never like, I should have just, I was too pissy to like put together, to like do the hunt, find monologues that actually spoke to me. So I just kind of always uh. resented going in and doing monologues. And then again, being judged for the second you walk in the room. And that's true for on camera as well. Um, so I just didn't like, like there was that added layer of like, oh, they're going to they're gonna judge me before I open my mouth vibe as, a, as the practice of auditioning, which is your job. Your job as an actor is to audition. And then if you're lucky, <laughs> you get to book and do the thing. Um, yeah. And so comparing that to things like voiceover, even with like what I now realize are like super cranky New York casting directors, like New York casting directors can be so cranky and New York is the worst, the worst of it. Bless them. They're just brutally honest. Even so, I just found that that process so much more chill. Like you go in, you're wearing whatever you're wearing. Who cares? You read it a couple of times. You mess around you get some adjustments. It's just so chill, largely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Voiceover and game voiceover, too. I mean, like, um, Game voiceover too. Everyone's just kind of. I, I've been on so many on on camera type settings or like or or casting processes where they're just kind of tuned out until you tune them in with your work, like until you like don't fall on your face or you actually do well. Like it's you're just mm -hmm. so coming from so far behind from the, mo the moment you step in the room and you're like, do you like your life? Do you like your job? Like what is <laughs> happening? Can't we? Don't we all love what we do? <laughs> and I just felt like everything is a little more you might be the person or you might just be great um, as a default um, vibe huh. in voiceover. It's just like, hey, nice to see you. What are we, you know, what, what's, what's your take on this? So for all these reasons, it was really like focusing on what does my day-to-day -day look like and what can I handle emotionally and voiceover yeah. just felt really sustainable. And, and it almost feels like you're, you're, you're self, you're self-selecting into communities, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it feels like you're reading the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in those spaces. I mean, yeah. is, is that what happened with games? Is that what ultimately led you to games is sort of like reading the vibe and liking the community? Yeah. I mean, I genuinely, it was a few things. Um, and I'm realizing now that not everybody, and this is maybe that's a flex, but maybe not everybody had put like think, thought about their career this way. <laughs> like as I talked to other actors mm. or other people and I'm like, how did you not think of, think of it this way? But, um, yeah, like I, I, oh, I felt that games were this kind of semi-uncharted space as a media, like as a medium, mm. and that was thrilling. Yeah. I was like, there's, I just, who knows all the different directions this can go in. That's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I knew that games, I, that I connected to them in this really personal way um, and that they were very intimate experiences for me. And that felt really powerful to, to, to exist in as a performer, um, to come into someone's home and for many hours at a time and just to kind of like be, it's just very close. Um, and I love that. Um, so there were like aesthetic, you know, medium based reasons that I thought games would be really, really cool that there was another big aha moment in this, in the committing to games specifically was meeting Richard LaMarchand at, at uh, PAX. And, t- and tell us who, who he is. Yes. Richard LaMarchand was the co-lead game designer, um, on the Uncharted series mm-hmm. through three and now teaches at USC. Right. Um, and isn't yeah. he like notoriously nice? Yep. Okay. I, that was I literally that impression. the nicest person that I could have. I feel like yeah. I may have met him like the one time I went to nice. GDC or something. And yeah, I don't know. No, he is charmed. famously the nicest person in games. And like, got it. Yeah. What happened was, I think it was my first PAX East. It must have yeah. been because um, I didn't know where else to go. I was like starting to toy with games. I was like, how do I get into this? I don't I have no idea where to start. And so like the only conference or event I knew of at the time was PAX. And so I went to PAX mm-hmm. um, and I got magically luckily upgraded at the hotel to like the fancy level. Um, and my mom <laughs> happened to come down from New Hampshire to like have brunch with me on this last day of the thing. And she saw that Richard had a speaker badge. And she was like, that man has a speaker badge. You should go talk to him. And I was like, that's, <laughs> no, that's terrible. He, this that's man not is, allowed. no, he's at breakfast. He's not even on the show floor. This is invasive and inappropriate. Um, but I did it. Um, at, you know, mom, geez. Um, so I did it. And again, I just, I lucked out. Like he, he makes time for everybody. He's just so present and warm with anybody who wants his time. And it was funny because he was with someone else who was like, why are we doing this? Like, can we just eat? <laughs> and I like got it. Like right. from my position, I was like, right. dude, I feel you, bro. Like I would feel the same way. Um, yeah. But here I am. And I was just like, what's your deal? And he's like, I work on these games. And I was, and I was like, cool. I don't have a PlayStation, but that seems cool. And he was like, yeah, we mm-hmm. do. You know, what do you do? And I was like, I am an actor. And he was like, we do wonderful things with actors. And I was like, oh, that's neat. Um, and so like I walk away having no concept of what has just happened and who I just talked to. Um, and I watch all of Uncharted on YouTube and I'm like, oh my God, these actors are vibing with each other. They have chemistry. What is this place? A really elaborate way to hide the damn treasure. They, this is very alive. This is very like reactive and fun and in this beautiful adventure spirit. Like this is delicious. Which way do we go? Huh. Wait a second. If this is what mm. games are doing, I want in. Um, you know, and so that was like, oh, okay. If this is what's up, what's going on in games, then 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 I can make this my full priority. Um, it's yeah. just, maybe there's a hope of being creatively nourished in this space if that's what's up. Um, so yeah, that was my that was so, thing. How amazing to be a person so ag- aggressively nice and and <laughs> kind that people just decide to join the industry, right? As a result, changed my right? life. Like, yeah, that's. Crazy, but what's really interesting about that story to me is like I talk about this a little bit on the the trailer for the podcast, but like um, I had a series of those kinds of experiences at the game developers convention yeah. that I went to, yeah. and like that was a, a really formative moment for me. It was mm-hmm. a moment where like a lot of catastrophic things had happened in my life mm-hmm. literally a week before, oh, wow. and people were just talking to me with open hearts, like being kind. Mm -hmm. And the reason I raise that is that I think there, (laughs) this goes almost without saying the video game community, Mm -hmm. when you say those words Mm -hmm. gets a pretty bad rap. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And even today, and I think in a lot of ways, rightly so, but what strikes me is that like the real people, (laughs) yeah, the real people are really nice yeah. um, and really kind and open hearted, it feels like to me. 
I think that um, I truly believe that, that the game space, both an industry level, fan level, all of it, has both the best and the absolute best and the absolute worst of humanity. Mm, I think yeah. we have the full spread. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been reflecting on this because there's been all these like, you know, the industry has been shaken by a lot of like revelations and blah, 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 blah. And me yes. thinking back to my early GDCs, I feel like I was a freshman in college all over again because it felt like finding uh-huh. your, you know what I mean? It had that fizzy, yeah. fast intimacy and deep yep. connection and like just open hearts and like creativity. And it was just very fizzy and very beautiful. Um, and now being an old vet in this space, like I'm like, ah, this, yeah, this is the days, <laughs> you know, um, but <laughs> I still have these connections. It, yeah, there real. was. Yeah, yeah. It was just like yeah. very it was very exciting it was a really beautiful yeah. time and you know maybe i'm a little disillusioned now about it but 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 the same but many of those old connections persist and are beautiful still and there's i'm certain that there's new folks that are that are coming into the space that i have yet to meet um that yeah there, the there's something about. happening it feels like in this space and i only know now from what from following people on twitter mm. um but um it seems like there's a similar thing happening in this space that is happening in a lot of different communities which is like a circling of the wagons, unfortunately, uh, but also for the best, I think, where there's people um, getting into their spaces where they feel safest, mm-hmm. right? Um, getting mm-hmm. out of those spaces where they don't feel yeah. as safe and and just supporting the people that, are, that share common sort of human values. Um, you think that's in the industry or in society at large or both? I think it's all over the place. I don't know. I did like improv for two years and that's definitely happening in that space Mm -hmm. in like Chicago improv, like, Mm -hmm. um, and the, I don't know. It feels like a lot of different spaces. Mm -hmm. It's just happening. The same, the same folks that I kind of like responded to as beacons and were so readily accessible to me. Like I met so many people. What, what happened after I met, after I met Richard and was like, oh, I got to get into this world. Um, I followed everyone he followed on Twitter. And that was how I found like baby castles mm. and um, GDC and like Indicade and, and so many of these pockets, these spaces that I was like, oh, my God, my people are here. Like they're thinking about games in the way that I want to think about games. We're discussing yeah. them that way we feel about games deeply, blah, blah, blah. And there's a permeability and kind of maybe like almost a tone setting for the whole space at the time mm-hmm. that now mm-hmm. those same folks and that same vibes feels it does feel like it's kind of retreating to discords. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. ret- it's like kind of pulling Twitter yep. has become like, like I still use Twitter as my primary networking tool, but it just feels kind of cruddy. It just feels kind of sad. And like people aren't, <laughs> right. you know, I mean like we, when I joined, we were like making fake, we were improvising fake RPGs and Twitter threads that like expanded into, you know, swirled outward into like fake songs. And, um, you know, I mean, it was playful and it was heady yeah. and maybe now looking back at it, it would be cheesy or juvenile or something like the, the way that we thought we were being deep or whatever it might, who knows? I don't know. You know, I can only guess, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it was very heart forward. And I don't know, I, I guess I just, maybe, maybe I've curated my Twitter improperly that I'm not feeling it as much, but it feels like that vibe is to be found in discords and other, yeah, other slightly circumscribed spaces. So what, what you're describing uh, about that Twitter presence and about us back then, <laughs> uh, yeah. in a way is a like, decade ago. <laughs> maybe this connection is like a little too tenuous, but I'm going to make it. Cause Let's do it's, it. it's your podcast. For the good of the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to make this, this is that, clumsy powerful divide right like mm. this is the the the, <laughs> the risk-taking maneuver that that i i find really valuable which is like oh. if i screw this up i'm gonna feel stupid mm. but if we can pull this off yeah. it will be amazing 
and, and have an impact, right? Like mm-hmm. it will mean something. Well, it's interesting you, you draw that because I feel like that era of personal essay-based games critique was mm-hmm. like was very much that because there were a lot of people, it became kind of a whole thing. And me being very fussy, I felt like there were a hand, pe- handful of people who truly changed my life with that style of writing um, about mm-hmm. games um, and mm-hmm. especially in Kill Screen. Um, and then there was a lot of stuff that I turned my nose up at, like, oh, this is a cheap, tawdry, <laughs> like, or whatever I was a yeah. snob about, you know. Um, so maybe that is that same risk that it maybe that is that line between risk and payoff and you know whatever else when it goes wrong um, it's crazy how like that writing about video games dominated my life at that time mm-hmm. like it was it was everything it was. and i and i remember just agonizing over the personal essay concept and like mm-hmm. that was a big thing like new games journalism was mm-hmm. swirling and people were talking about that stuff and yeah. you really did feel at all times like you were on the verge of you never knew I don't know. Maybe this is just my mental health at the time, but I never knew if I was making a fool of myself or doing something extraordinary. Right. Yeah. Which is that I, feeling? I still of, don't really know. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I I love. I mean, that's why I have these issues here. Like, I I yeah. think they're full of. They they felt like a. They fed my little naive whatever just freshman energy entering the space mm. heart with hope, and I I think now I feel what I feel silly about is imagining that everything was going to continue to move in that direction in a beautiful yeah. evermore but it didn't you know like it was a moment and that's what's sad mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I get sad just yeah. thinking about it yeah I think the there is something lost and there's a there's a lost potential that happened because I mean yeah. I feel like we should just name Gamergate and just yeah. say sure like right. that whole thing yeah. like threw right. the vibes off completely yeah for sure and we never recovered, but that was obviously a bigger thing than we even knew at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. That threw the vibes off completely. And it yeah, really sure. stuck with me that that led the other thing, that that led everything else, right? Um, that that led made, the same tactics and cultural strain acting out in other spheres? Is that what you mean? Yes, yeah. yes. And that made me wonder if there is something about this industry mm-hmm. and this culture mm-hmm. that leads, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's certainly true in technology. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if it's true in culture. And then what does that mean? I don't know. I think it does speak to the personal investment that people feel around games and the possessiveness that they feel for better and worse mm. um, around yeah. them. You know, the stake seems... What what you look for in these instances is, is ego attachment, right? And our and our egos are yeah. pretty attached to this stuff, um, and whether we you know and how we turn it into an identity or a label and how we ident- how we define our tribe and blah 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 and what that and why defining our tribe is related to a sense of personal threat or not or whatever, um, it's the charge is really strong. You know what I've always felt about video games is that it is maybe one, it's hard to compare mediums. People get defensive. I'm not trying to do that here mm-hmm. all i'll say is to me it feels like the highest investment art form yeah right sure it feels like if i'm gonna play a game i'm f- and i'm really playing the game i'm fully in even yeah. if i i tend to bounce around to all sorts of different things but they still impact me in a way that few other things do mm-hmm. i don't know if that's true i mean but, i think the only thing to compare them to is books like because you know when you stop reading a book the yeah. whole thing stops it's just in your head True. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think it, that it's similar with games. Games are beholden to you, <laughs> to your time and attention um, yeah. in a way where the whole thing really, you can't just have it on. A, you know, I mean, I guess it's maybe if we drill down on that concept, it's true. Of, I mean, nowadays, the way we watch TV with it in the background, maybe that's the same thing as reading a book and not processing what you're reading. That's maybe that's totally mm-hmm. the same thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, 
but games certainly do the whole like the the system literally pauses and waits at your at your great you know the grace of your input right um, and, and one so. thing that's definitely true is that it, it involves all of the senses in mm-hmm. a way that others don't right mm-hmm. do you think games are good for self-expression themselves I mean, on the back of this Into the Depths Mario thing, I th- must mm-hmm. say so, given the the creativity and the mm. and the athletic excellence that is on display in the in the Mario culture, you know, and certainly fighting games, I would say you'd have you'd have to give it to give it that. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I, there are ways of playing RPGs that I think are deeply self expressive, and like because it requires your input, there is so much to read and to understand about somebody from the way they play a game even if you mm. even if it's dangerous to kind of overextend you know like we just yep. talked about like part things that are compartmentalized and that don't reflect or don't match in life but still right. certainly there's data coming through about a person based you know and we know this from playing co-op right like there's a yep. lot about yourself when you play co-op or, um you know in how you navigate interpersonal dynamics and all that stuff so there's whether it's conscious or gratifying or not there's a lot of you in whatever game you're playing yes. um so then yeah. there's that second question of like, is it satisfying or is it nice or does it give you a freedom of expression? I think, yeah, depending on the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I'm feeling a lack of efficacy in life, I go to Doom. Like the new school. <laughs> nice. The new school Doom games. Oh, like nice. I, I, uh, there's something like, and I feel that that is self-expression. I feel like I'm probably expressing a frustration mm. and anger in a way that, in a, in a safe way. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's quite catharsis because mm. um, mm-hmm. it's too minimal or something like like the actual motions I'm making right I think running is better for that mm. <laughs> but but um mm-hmm. but I think there's something in like the feeling of like achieving that stuff that mm-hmm. just helps me to process sure it a little more. and processing is a big thing for me yeah. I think that's uh Maybe why I I'm not great at expressing emotions is because I have to process them first. Sure. <laughs> or yeah. maybe even instead, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know why I keep going to Super Hexagon. First of all, because it's such an old game, but I love oh, it so much. Such a good game. It's so Gosh. good. It's so good. Mine. I love that game. I don't feel like I'm express. It was funny because I was like, no, not that, because I'm not expressing myself. I'm watching myself. Mm. Super Hexagon is such a great. It's like a mirror. Crying. It's just sort of like it's a really powerful way to show you yourself because you're like, oh, I'm tired. That I was slow. Oh, I'm jumpy. I'm tweaked out. You know, like that. It's like oh, you're just watching yourself fail in this in this very narrow channel. And as you flip flop to either side of the of the channel, you're learning about where your mood is at, what your where your brain state is at. It's just constantly brutally showing you yourself. Um, and so I always find that a really interesting exercise. And I would play it to kind of like if I was keyed up, even though it's a stressful game, maybe I would like not listen to the music. Um, maybe I would yeah. like listen to something else or turn off the sound. But like that act of watching myself would actually kind of like and, and demanding this high intensity intention and like really, really goading you into a flow state. It did give me something. It's like so funny to play a stressful game when you're stressed out. But it, it had the opposite effect on me where I would just be like, I need to breathe. I need to recenter. I need to like it's pushing out every other thing that's that my brain wants to chew on and get obsessed about and angry over. It's like mm-hmm. so it's not quite self-expression. It's not just sort of like amplifying what I'm feeling, but it is an interesting exercise. That's so interesting because yeah, it, it does feel like maybe games aren't amazing for self-expression, but mm-hmm. th- for self-observation um, and learning about your mm-hmm. emotional state, like they could be really useful. Which is yeah. helpful for me because I often don't know how I feel. Right. Yeah. Well, may I recommend to you to a game called Super Hexagon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to download yeah. that one onto my phone again. Yeah. And, uh, it's so good. Make it my go-to. Yeah. So the last question is: 
centered around the feelings wheel. So the feelings wheel is a tool that therapists often use. Huh. It's, it's useful for breaking down seven basic emotions mm. and then breaking them out into smaller and smaller cool. emotions that are more specific. And so it help, therapists use it to help people name their okay. emotions. That's not a problem so, I have. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've done is I've put all of those feelings, um, there are 82 of them, on a wheel, and we're going to spin it. Oh, my God. Okay. And um, you're going to tell me about a video game that's made you feel that way. Oh, boy. The emotion is creative. Is there a a game that has made you feel creative, which is a subset of happy. It's so funny because we just talked about how I've abdicated my opportunities to feel creative in games like The Sims <laughs> or like right, Animal right, Crossing. Right, like I played right. Animal Crossing the same way. Like everyone was putting like cool, wacky stuff on their island and building these weird, whimsical zones. And I was just like, let me have this perfect picket fence and, you know, water some shrubs. And like, I was like, <laughs> why am I so unimaginative? Yeah. Is there a, ga is there a game that's drawn you out of that? Um, right. I don't want to call it a rut, but that tendency. But the organizational, you know, yeah. achiever. A ten tendency instead of an expressor yeah. tendency. Do you think there is creativity involved in the more mundane, like organizational stuff? Is that an expression somehow of creativity? You think? Um, possibly. I think that to to draw it to directing, because directing is is analytical and it is naming, it's articulating, mm. and it is identifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really are surgical. It's a surgical act, but it is. Um, but it's also poetry, and so. Mm. That same kind of analytical uh, diagnostic ability. Well, maybe it's just because it's two parts. Like, like in life, you can, you know, there's identifying your feelings and then there's expressing them, right? So, directing I think is creative, even though it is also analytical. Um, yeah. I'm like identifying what might be me missing and pu putting a very precise finger on it. Um, yep. But then, how I get an actor to that space or how to uh, kind of inspire a feeling in them, I will reach mm -hmm. for. I could reach for an image. I could reach for a you know a life situation. I mean, my I frequently speak in kind of these abstract poetics or imagery that that just so I don't overdetermine their performance. I think it is just it's just like it's an achievey thing. I have like yeah. it's because I'm reaching for something or I'm trying to get better at something. You know what I mean? And so there's it, the opposite. I think when you're being truly creative, it's kind of like not to that you to say that you aren't striving for your own personal achieving something has to do with maybe like a. I don't know, I, an external goal that someone set or some like rubric that mm -hmm. you're like taking on. Um, yeah. And you can have, I mean, your own goal. Like I, I would, I guess I would credit the, the legwork that I put in my own career as setting a goal and achieving it in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's not to say you can't be creative and sit and reach a goal, but like there's something a little bit less, there's, yeah, not as overdetermined about around creativity, really unbridled creativity. It doesn't know, like when I'm acting, I can't, I, you know, if I, I always, I try to tell people this, because, especially talk about it, because I think that um, we're at this moment where AI voices are kind of reaching enough, co you know, competency, right, to be on, the, to be discussed, mm -hmm. to have to talk about them, yep. Um, yep. and to have to advocate for real human beings doing this work. And yep. when you are being really creative as a voice actor, the odds that you know exactly how you're going to sound when you do something, like, is are just... I think it's a good sign when you don't know how you're going to sound, when you don't know where you're going and when you don't know where something came from. Um, it's it's alive. It's spontaneous. It's, it's like there's something really powerful and, yeah, unconscious about it. I don't know how I got this way to this self-conscious place where I carefully curate my thoughts and emotions before I express them. 
but, but I'm wondering if it might be a sign that I don't see the world as a safe place, that I don't feel the freedom to show vulnerability in my default mode. I just want to repeat this thing that Sarah said right there at the end. It's a good sign when you don't know how you're going to sound. She's talking about voice acting there, but I think it applies more generally. To express yourself emotionally, you can't be preoccupied with how you're coming across or what people will think. I do cry sometimes, but rarely around people. My only recent memories of crying is in front of a TV set, and, and I'll quickly wipe those tears away as soon as my wife turns around and looks at me. She asks every time if I'm okay, and my body and my brain interprets that question for some reason as a threat. I've always been relatively effective at eliciting emotion and vulnerability from others. But what I'd like to do here is use this podcast to figure out something trickier. How can I forget myself long enough to let others see me as I am? How can I stop worrying about how I'm going to sound? Sarah's thoughts on video games, make sure you check out the excellent podcast Eggplant. Seriously, it's one of my four regular video game podcast listens. Also, check out The Wreck at thewreckgame.com. It's an upcoming game developed by The Pixel Hunt. Sarah was instrumental in casting and voice directing for that one. If you like this podcast, follow us on Twitter at vidgamefeelings. And of course, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video Game Feelings is an Area Code production. You can find out more at areacodeaudio.com. It's produced, written, and hosted by me, Richard Clark. Associate producer is Ashley Whitehurst. Our theme music is by Bruce Holtman. This is an Area Code podcast.